The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Mike Arm, falling down when I start the podcast, Tom. And I am, as I am always, joined every fortnight, joined by my co-host. Uh, Dan, I don't have anything to attempt to be clever this week. Look at this, Dan. It's so annoying. Yeah, I know. You need to get a new one. I think I do, too. I've used this same mic arm for a while, and it's worked, but clearly something's falling apart on a spring or something where it drifts now instead of staying suspended. But every time I almost buy one, it just works fine for a day. So I don't right. know. We'll, we'll you, see what happens. Then you get false hope that it's going to work again. And I, I just have other stuff to do. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm still moving into this house. I put together a rather large garden in the backyard uh yesterday or was it yeah yesterday and like i still of course the studio is not done and it won't be for a while but like there's still like there's no shortage of things to do that isn't me shopping for something i don't really need and that costs money that i think could be better used for other things right now yeah that's true the problem with those like arm things is once one of the uh springs starts going out it kind of (laughs) it's kind of stops working as intended because you know they're supposed to like hold each other in perfect tension so if they're not doing that it's just gonna you know (laughs) drift in a random direction from time to time the biggest problems i have with arm are their x86 support (laughs) oh that was a good topical joke there tom i know that was really good definitely (laughs) worth keeping in um i'm so how have you been though Eh, i've been pretty good Started in the uh, my dissertation lab, so that's fun. You know, we've been playing, I'm just thinking of this now, we've been playing a lot of um, Dark Souls, and I just randomly want to bring this up. I just have a bone to pick here. Just something, I don't know, what, this is just coming in in the beginning, this is the intro banter portion. You know, we, we played Demon Souls Remastered, or really Remake, and um, I mean, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it, but after platinuming that game for the third time yes we platinumed it twice in the initial version because every region had a different set of uh trophies um we decided like let's go back to dark souls one because it's been like a decade since we've played it almost almost so well not since we played it but i guess since almost since it came out and so we don't remember half of the stuff in it so it might feel fresh you know go through in a version that's not running at 20 frames a second and I gotta say Demon's Souls aged better, Dan. I just, I have to say it in this episode. I, I I just, I feel like it's a PSA that I can't believe I'm saying it because I always thought of those games as tied and how much I like them. But in hindsight, I think Demon's Souls aged better. I just look at some of the criticism some games like Dark Souls 2 got, and then I look at Dark Souls 1 and I'm like, dude, like in Anne Orlando, half of that place is just empty rooms with a big guy standing in it. Like, and everyone talks so much shit about Dark Souls 2, which I do feel is the weakest one in the series easily, but 
It's like, so grid level design is just throwing a guy in a room? It's very empty blank rooms in parts of that game. And I, I don't know. I like, I, we just killed the pinwheel. What an easy kind of pointless boss. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I feel like when you take off the rose tinted glasses and go back, it's like, all I'm saying is it's kind of a PSA. If you have not played Demon Souls and Bloodborne, I do now firmly think you missed the two best in the series. And yeah. it's so funny because I didn't think I'd say that going back to play Dark Souls. Yeah, and it's like Dark Souls still has a lot of good areas, a lot of good bosses, but you know. But like Blighttown just felt lazy to me. Blighttown, I, I never really liked the, the swamp very part much. of it, I'm saying. Like it's laughably lazier than other areas and other games that were poison swamps. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the it's poison just an swamp was. Open room. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of small and it was, you know, the ending to an area. It wasn't an entire area, so I would expect it to be a little smaller. But. I mean, I, I was never a huge fan of Blighttown to begin with. Like, the frame rate sucked in that area. <laughs> it was that is my. Of, that it is, was kind of just obnoxious. Yeah. I, I never really liked that area that much. All right. It's uh, our random Dark Souls, Demon Souls talk. And again, I want to be very clear. I, I got every achievement in Dark Souls. I like Dark Souls. I'm just saying, going back, it's like, well, hmm, I don't know. I don't know that I, this is my favorite in the series anymore. But let us move on to some reader mails here, which remember, if you support us on Patreon, you can submit reader mails, get early ad-free access to content. Big Hefe B writes in and says, Big Jeff, I always want to say Hefe. Big Jeff writes B writes in and says, Hey, Tom, is there a specific engineering field that you as a mechanical engineer have look over your nose and sneered at? I went to school for industrial engineering, and I remember my peers and instructors kind of looking down on materials engineers. Um, I never remember that at all. I... um. Especially, like, lately, because material science is so important. I, I, it, materials engineers definitely seemed the most dorky, but how can't you be? It's, like, all, you know, theoretical math and, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot less hands-on thing. Well, not really. I don't know. Not Honestly, my short answer is no, except for civil engineers. I do remember jokes about civil engineers simply because of how many times a building collapsing was because it barely skated by on an inspection, but it lasted a few years and then collapsed because the safety factor, which just so people know, like when you build something, anything that interfaces with a human, there is a safety factor that is in place. And there's a lot of different standards depending on what you're building. And it's like, we're going to build this twice as strong as it needs to be. And typically like with cars, I don't remember what it was, but it was something like 1.2 is the safety factor 1.3, and yet you still have cars that are incredibly safe. But that means they really need to nail the math because if mm -hmm. they're off by 30%, it's not safe. Whereas with civil engineers, half of the time, they'll build walls that have a safety factor of like four. And the idea is because buildings have to be safe. But then if there's a safety factor of four, do you even need to do any math? Because you could be off by a factor of four and it might not break right away. Well, and then you get things like that. Um, oh, I don't remember where the bridge, that bridge that they didn't uh, take into the account that like it resonated at the, uh, with wind. So uh, with wind blowing over it. So it like bowed like a wave and went up and down. And that's how it collapsed because they didn't factor in that thing with the bridge. Luckily, no one died because they noticed that it was, you know, resonating with uh, with the wind. So they 
close the bridge before it collapsed. But that video of a bridge collapsing from wind is kind of crazy to watch. Well, and again, like a mechanical engineer, like building an engine. Yeah, they take into account vibrations big time. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas it just always feels like it's not to say it's just it seems like there's a lot of examples of like industrial engineering where it's like, oh, we don't usually need to do that. So we didn't. Whereas with mechanical aerospace chemical it's like oh everything has to be perfect so we 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 we're we're not we double check i don't know yeah. i don't know that's the only thing i can say and that's just my perception but in general no i don't remember that at all uh qh freddy writes in will the frog killing era have more pluses in it than intel's 14 nanometer well there's no chance of that qh freddy but again this is just kindness of announcing that when it comes to the jokes of dan experimenting on animals because he's a geneticist it is now the frog era it is the frog area era, yes. Which is why I kept this question here. Uh, nothing to add there, Dan. No frog no. updates. No, no real frog updates as of right now. No. Tarbon Cry writes in with Acorn Tiger Lake being less efficient than Rocket Lake below sixty watt TDP, uh, and the fact that it has only thirty two execution units in its GPU, uh, a cut down IPU image processing unit. Which leads to a slower encoding performance. Is Intel trying to transition from a CPU company to a meme content farm? Honestly, Carbon Cry, I saw a lot of people making fun of Tiger Lake H45, you know, the eight core die variant mm-hmm. in the Discord for Moore's Law is Dead. And I never commented because the people I talk to aren't saying the same things you guys are. So I, I know there's some slides circulating and some people are drawing some conclusions, but I'm saying in practice, People are saying that this is a very good die that's competitive. So I don't want to talk about it too much because I have someone coming on as the next guest who's going to be someone who's tested Tiger Lake extensively and Saison. And so that's when we'll get into what I really think about it. Frankly, it's just like what I I pay attention to so many different types of products. I'm just not really paying attention to this one right now. But I I don't I don't I don't really get the Tiger Lake hate yet. I, I really don't understand I haven't looked at these slides. I don't know. Everyone I've talked to, this thing, let's put it this way. I know you qualify by a certain TDP range. Nobody thinks this is less efficient than Rocket Lake at literally anything in their use. (laughs) This thing destroys. In fact, I have a lot of people saying that it's insane they didn't just put this on desktop, which I know you would say is above 60 watts. So, you know. That's I'm, not what I'm talking about, but I, I, I no, like I have OEM saying they're not even going to bother putting Rocket Lake chips in laptops because of how horrible they are at everything. I don't know what <laughs> Intel's reporting officially, guys, but I'm telling you in practice, Tiger Lake's a lot better at everything from what I'm hearing. Yeah, and if they have good yields of eight cores of Tiger Lake, yeah, like you said, I don't know why they aren't just putting it on desktop at this point, but. I don't want to beat a dead horse. The, the reason, though, I mean, obviously, is that they haven't transitioned everything to 10 nanometer capacity, and yeah. Rocket Lake was done, Dan, so it's out now. Like, people need to yeah, remember and I that. Guess they, were, they didn't know if Tiger Lake would ever be as good as it was. And I guess they're, you don't want to have two competing lineups at the same time. Well, I mean, they kind of do. <laughs> they just yeah. throw Comet Lake, Rocket Lake, Tiger Lake, Ice Lake all over all their lineups. So does AMD. Yeah. Jensen Huang writes in, taking a break from being CEO of NVIDIA, and says, Why do people follow Vega as some sort of religion? Fermi did it first and did it did hot the best. Big cats are what kept the lights on at AMD. Why are Bobcats and Jaguars not worshipped by the idiot followers of that second time Fermi architecture? 
some coming in hot here from a patron, but I mean, I just think that Vega was this perfect blend of being priced below cost for several models so that you could get a eight gigabyte HBM card for way cheaper than you normally should be able to, especially the 16 gigabyte Radeon 7, which was the first seven nanometer consumer-ish card, which was cool. I just think there's a cool factor to the fact that Vega was so good at things that weren't gaming. Um, That is why people like Vega. I liked Vega too, and I expect a lot of people will like Ampere and be... Well, well, how shall we put it? Be the next religion. Yeah, I think in a year you're going to see a lot of I, I think you'll see a decent amount of what what's the word um, starts with a C like contra contrarians oh, yeah. that say Ampere is better than people give it credit, but not as many because remember Vega also had that underdog status. Yeah. And when when you're an underdog, you're always going to attract a certain amount of religious fervor yeah and uh i mean i i agree though i think jaguar is criminally underappreciated though i i, I that was a cpu where i went oh amd still can make good things I and mean, they had those am1 that am1 yeah. platform i thought was awesome i could do a whole podcast on it chagaholic writes in and says hey tom have you considered in order to stay competitive in the hardware leaker crowd changing your twitter picture to an anime character <laughs> I'm sure there are many weebs, me included, on this server that would be more than happy to help you in this regard. It's an interesting suggestion considering a lot of the, I would argue, overly quoted <laughs> uh, Twitter leakers have anime characters. Uh, I mean, but I think the anime characters, I think they attract the leaks, though. They're like somebody's looking through it like, oh, I need to go to a leaker. Oh, well, that guy's got a hot anime chick. I better contact them. That's how yeah, I assume. Prob- we're, we're somewhat joking, of course, but I mean, it is true that that just seems to be a thing for some reason. With, But I mean, I guess it's not surprising that there's a big crossover in hardware nerds and weebs. weebs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, Trigaholic, I have no such plans. Okay. And now let us move on to corrections and omissions. Oh my, uh, this is Fatboy. He's, his name is apparently now Crispy Chicken, writes in and says, listening to the Nintendo section of the Broken Silicon 100 episode, I'd like to point out some things regarding the Nintendo 3DS. The 3DS launched March of 2011 at a price of $250, and the Vita also launched at $250 for the Wi-Fi only model and $300 for the 3G model. The Vita definitely seemed like a credible threat to the 3DS, given its superior hardware at the same price point. But the lackluster software really drove home how underwhelming the 3DS launch was. August of 2011 saw the 3DS price drop all the way down to 170. So yeah, that's in one half a year they did that, tearing into selling at a loss. With subsequent months seeing first-party software releases to bolster the more competitive pricing of the 3DS, sales jumped as soon as the price drop was in effect, coupled with big announcements like Super Mario 3D Land, Mario Kart 7 to incentivize purchases in anticipation of what was to come. And NVIDIA, and I'm sorry, and, Inta, and ah, Nintendo, Nintendo <laughs> also announced their Maya Copa uh, by way of the Ambassador program. Those with 3DS models of the original $250 price point would register to get 10 free NES games by quarter four, 2011, 10 free Game Boy Advance games by quarter one, 2012, and that helped make up that price discrepancy. Yeah, I guess that's 20 games they just threw at you to make you not complain. This really put the 3DS in a better spot, followed by some really solid software support moving forward in 2012 and 13. I 
I specifically remember this given I purchased my Mint Condition Ambassador 3DS for 130 on eBay <laughs> in 2011, October 2011, followed by that the 3DS closely. I lucked out by not only getting a mint condition for less than the new MSRP, but that the 3DS being a launch SQ that was not registered for the ambassador program. I don't, I think I messed up reading that there. But anyways, yeah, I'm going to skip ahead because this is an entire War and Peace novel about the 3DS. Um, but I mean, I guess what he says is kind of just trying to outline, you know, that it came back quickly. And I I, I brought this up because I, I, you know, in Broken Silicon 100, I brought up how the 3DS kind of looked like it might lose. Maybe I underemphasize this, but I really do feel like there were three to six months, probably just three months, honestly, where it was like, wait, the Vita is going to come out with vastly better specs at the same price and it's going to launch with an Uncharted? Is it, you know, is it Nintendo screwed? And within three months, the price was fixed, the gaming issue was fixed, and then Sony announced Vita memory cards. And yeah. I, I do remember there being a three-month period where a lot of contrarians were like, Sony's about to take the handheld market. And then out of nowhere, Sony, uh, Nintendo just... Uh, it's well, one of the biggest turnarounds I've ever seen. Well, and that and combined with Sony's desire for the Vita to fail, really, <laughs> really I mean, I swear helped to God, the 3DS win like in the, the end. And yeah, I... I I guess the if you want to know how to buy goodwill from early adopters, if you have to drop the price, give them 20 free games. That I think that is pretty fair. Like, yeah, we dropped the price probably six months to a year earlier than we would have wanted to. So have 20 free games. I mean, arguably years earlier than they wanted yeah. to. Yeah, especially with Nintendo. Um, Jensen Wang writes in again and says, on the PS4 Pro... You guys talked about it in a previous episode. My understanding is initial rumors of it were a month or so before the PS4 launch. Was it planned that far ahead of time, despite being disliked? Uh, whatever your exact wording was, I don't remember. But what 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 are you sure about what Tony, Sony probably said internally? And I come to this question with this thought from Charlie of Semi-Accurate, where my general rule is I trust the facts, not the analysis. Yeah, that's always a good rule. <laughs> Sometimes I think analysis can run rampant away from the facts. Um, but I mean, my short answer is no. I actually double checked this before we started recording. I mean, guys, the I couldn't find rumors using Google's, you know, kind of time machine function um, around a, about a PS4 Pro before the PS4 came out. But remember, the PS4 launched in 2013. The PS4 Pro was in 2016 and had a Polaris Vega hybrid architecture. I don't think Sony knew what the PS4 Pro even remotely was or had it planned. Uh, before, you know, right after, you know, right around the yeah. 2090X launch or something, or 290X launch. I, I don't, I don't think so, guys. Um, I do, were they considering it? Maybe, but my memory is simply that in 2014, Sony saw 16 nanometer coming. Actually, yeah, it would have had to have been about late 2014. And they said, you know, we're selling things so well, we want to keep the $400 price point and it wouldn't cost us anything you know, extra yeah. to just use a similar sized die on the new node and over double performance. So why not? I, I literally think that's what it was. And, and I remember there. Yeah, I, I feel like there were rumors pretty early on in the PS4 Xbox one generation that there was going to be a mid a mid gen upgrade in performance. But I don't remember ever seeing anything before the console itself actually came out. Yeah. Well, Dan, we are through the early questions and the corrections and omissions shall we get into the stories let let's do it bro 
All right, story number one. Igor's lab leaks two package sizes for ZDG2, high-end and mobile models on the way. I have a write-up here. This past week, reliable leaker and tech analyst Igor Walosek, I hope I said that right, confirmed five different EU sizes, execution unit sizes, for chips based on two package sizes being tested at Intel. In short, BGA 20660 and 1379 are the main packaging sizes right now. The top BGA model, of course, with 512 execution units and a 256-bit bus. And then, whether cut down or not, there are also 384 and 256 execution unit variants as well with a 192 and 128-bit memory interface, respectively. And there's also the smaller, almost half-sized package with 128 and 96 EU variants with a 64-bit interface. I'd assume that's the same die. There also seems to be 100-watt configurations for the top three SKUs with 275-watt configuration for the top SKU as a desktop model. In all honesty, I would say the biggest notable in this writer's opinion is the fact that Igor confirmed the same 275-watt TDP Moore's Law's Dead confirmed in April, and the release date continues to look like quarter for 2021 at the earliest um, so yeah. And also I'd say Igor's nice. I talked to him <laughs> <laughs> and I know he definitely doesn't, didn't, you know, know about my leak cause he was completely unaware of, Yeah, you know, he's in Germany too. He speaks German. So <laughs> he, he was completely unaware of some of the earlier DG two leaks from Moore's law is dead. So yeah, I mean this, I'm not, I, I really do think the biggest takeaway here is just that he's confirming very similar things to what I've heard. Although again, I, I've heard of every type of execution unit model that he's stated. It's just for me, 256 and 512. Just because they're on the same BGA doesn't mean they might not package a different die on that. That just means Mm -hmm. that they're probably planning to bring 512 and 256 execution unit models to desktop. And then below that is one that's meant basically only for laptop as of now. And... you know, uh, I, I think we talked about this on the last Broken Silicon I was on. I, I, pretty much five, uh, I think it was five GPUs with the same configuration almost. I'm not remembering the 64-bit SKU. Maybe uh, maybe there was one there that I forgot about. I thought the lowest it was. I think there was. Okay, I, I was remembering the lowest one was 128-bit, but I could just be misremembering. But I think the main thing, like you said, that this confirms is that these five SKUs that are now floating around, been floating around for a few weeks, are more or less what we've been hearing. So I would have to conclude that something like what we're seeing is probably the lineup from Intel. Yeah, and of course, he confirms the same memory sizes that I've heard. It really does seem like at the top, you're going to see a 250 to 300 watt model that is around Mm -hmm. a 3070 Ti with 16 gigabytes, hopefully for a reasonable price, we'll have to see. And then I cut down 12 gigabyte model. I assume, I I really do think they're probably going to target below 500 for the top model. And then for the 12 gigabyte, you know, probably 300. And then they have like a $200 mid range and so on and so forth. At least for now, I still communicate that. I don't hear anything about them charging an arm and a leg for the top one. Although again, you could certainly argue if the top model just crushes Ampere and encoding performance and professional apps that they'd be justified to charge the same price, even if it came out later. Yeah. And, you know, I think based on all, based on all uh, rumors or leaks i i would say this seems like it's probably gonna be 
close, I, I think close to like a 6,800 in performance somewhere, or at least that level. That Around seems, there, yeah. Yeah, that seems to be what they're targeting. And if it's a beast out encoding there, they would be justified charging more than a 6,800 prices, uh, even if it gets similar gaming performance. And the other thing I'll say is 275 watts. The, I, one more notable just would be that this kind of makes me wonder if it is on 7 nanometer and not 6. I, I know for a fact, and I've just double-checked this in the past week just so everyone knows, 6 nanometer was the initial plan, but it is design compatible with N7P at TSMC. So they could certainly use that. And no matter what they design, whether one they designed it for initially, and when I see 275 watts, I somewhat assume seven nanometer. I would just think it'd be a little more efficient if it was on six, not a ton, but I don't know. It's still early, so we can't confirm a ton about that yet. But it, it is also worth mentioning that a bunch of new products were just announced on TSMC's six nanometer, including a Qualcomm one, which takes up a ton of capacity. So when <laughs> you see that, Someone suggested to me who's a source that like when you see Qualcomm using six nanometer, it's like, why are all like and then Rembrandt, I believe as well. Like, why are all of these products for six nanometer, maybe a PS5 slim or something like those all use capacity. So it really seems like maybe Intel isn't going to. And I can't get anyone to say that they've heard anything about six nanometer since last year. Yeah, I, I, I think the only way you could really confirm that is if you could find if how much if Intel's bought a bunch of capacity at on seven or six nanometer, which I'm well, they have bought six, I know, but again, I honestly haven't checked that recently. So okay, so I I think that's the only way you could really hazard a guess is to see if they have capacity at one or both, and if they had bought it at both, there's really no nothing you can say. All right, let us move on to story number two. A deluge of Navi 23 and Navi 24 leaks depict a 1080p and 720p targeted set of RDNA 2 cards. A little write up here. Over the past two weeks, Moore's Law is dead and seemingly everyone else, has leaked info about Navi 23 and Navi 24. In summary, Navi 23 seems to indeed be the majority of the specs leaked by Moore's Law's Dead last summer. 32 compute units, a small amount of infinity cache, now verified to be 32 megabytes, 8 gigabytes of GDR6 over a 128-bit bus, and roughly Navi 10 performance in 1080p. Although we cannot say for sure what the drop-off will be, it seems like Navi 23 will for sure be meant for resolutions below 1440p, unless FSR is used. And additionally, Navi 24 seems like Polaris 10 levels of performance meant for resolutions below 1080p. Interestingly, looking at cache hit rates per infinity cache size provided by AMD, one can conclude that Navi 23's 1080p performance acceleration with just 32 megabytes should be slightly worse than Navi 22 in 1440p with 96 megabytes. Funny enough, 16 megabytes seems like it would handle 1080p notably worse than 96 megabytes in 4K, but not worlds worse. Mm -hmm. So the 6700 XT isn't terrible in 4K. I don't know, 16 megabytes might actually be enough for... 900p and low quality 1080p acceleration whereas 32 megabytes is just more than enough for 1080p so 
That, and yeah, again, guys, I am told directly 32 megabytes. If something changes, I'll let you know. And it did surprise me a little bit. It basically a day after I put that video out saying <laughs> it's either 64 or 32, I got multiple people confirming 32 megabytes to me. I find it odd how every leaker website I go to just says 64 all of a sudden, despite like video cards, for example, saying exclusive confirmation about 32 megabytes a few months ago. And now they're saying 64. I, I'm told 32, guys. These are the same people that confirmed. I was the first one to confirm 96 megabytes for Navi 22, to my knowledge. And these are the same sources saying this. Not more sources than before, actually. Yeah. I, and I, I think 64 gig, not gigabytes, megabytes is the... I, I, the intuitive answer you would go towards like, oh, it's probably just 64, but... Uh, well, 64 is definitely more than enough for 1080p, and it would be kind of enough for 1440p, but it, you know, that does take up a bunch of die space, so... I mean, if you're looking at what the, that hit rate chart at 64 megabytes what has 72% hit rate at 1080p, and... Uh, <laughs> 96 megabytes has seven, uh, 66% at uh, 1440p and 32 megabytes is roughly in line with that 66% hit rate a little lower but I guess that's it's a low end seems, shift though so yeah I guess that somewhere in that range seems to be what they're targeting I don't know but uh, I think the calculus is 32 megabytes is probably perfectly adequate for 1080p gaming yeah and I think I think this really feels like a $300 card to me. I, like, it really, really does. Everything I'm hearing is that this is going to absolutely destroy 1080p performance. Like, it's overkill. This is a 1080p 144 hertz, you know, monster. Expect around 5700 XT performance, maybe even a little higher if things go really well. But I, and I can't, I've literally been told I can't say details. Like, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But <laughs> what I will say is I have heard that performance may drop off monumentously <laughs> at 1440p, like to the point that wait, I, can, I can't say more than that. But, but yeah, yeah. It, that, that it's really affecting its ability to be segmented in some ways in products. Let's, yeah, I guess I'll put it that way. And that re, and again, you know, this is Navi 23, you know, this is. This is not 22, you know, like just like if you think of how AMD positioned their previous cards in the lineup, I, I think this was intended to probably be like a $250 card, but now they'll try to get away with 300 because they can. Hopefully they'll charge 250, but you know, I think uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but $300, I think that's the price point. I think that's probably a good price point that will attract, you know, people that the types of people that will want to get this card that are, you know, still probably pay, playing in 1080p. Maybe they have like a 1070 or 1060 or something like that. And they've waited a few years before upgrading. And uh, $300 isn't a terrible price point. So I, I think the I think the card is designed for the, the type of gamer they're trying to attract. Yeah, the, I guess one thing I'll say is I saw when I put out my 6600 XT leak, um, I saw a lot of people in the comments saying what I, cause I suggested it could be $320, you know, $10 less than the 3060, but it beats it in 1080p performance. That's my argument. Yeah. Um, and they said $320 for a 128 bit card. I'm going to vomit. And I'm like, it has almost the same die size as the 5,700 XT guys. Like you can vomit all. And, and I'm not defending the price, but I am saying guys, all that matters is performance. It could be 32-bit. Who gives a shit? 
Like if they could, Navi if, 21 is as strong as a 384 bit 3090. So I don't want to hear this. Oh, it's 256, but it should cost less. Navi 21's die size is over 500 millimeters squared. It's the biggest die they've made besides the Fury X. Like it is a high end die despite being 256 bit. They just traded, you know, bandwidth. I mean, you would say traditional bandwidth for die space. So it could be more efficient. And that's what they're doing here. Make no mistake. This is, if it didn't have infinity cash, this would be a 192 bit or 256 bit card. Yeah, it's very clear that Infinity Cash changes the traditional uh, assessment you make a bit. So if it's enough bandwidth to feed the card, though, at the level of performance you want, it shouldn't matter if it's a 256-bit card or a 128-bit card. Who cares? Yeah. Having said that, I mean... I mean, I guess it just depends how you think about it. It's a more mature node. It's been out for a while, but TSMC hasn't lowered prices on seven nanometer like that. I believe we covered that last broken silicon that they publicly said they're canceling their plan to do the normal price drops on seven nanometer over time that they did with like 16. Like You guys can Google that. So, yes, it's later in the node's life, and you might argue it should be cheaper, but it's really not for AMD. And this is a 236 millimeter squared die versus Navi 10s, the 5700 XT is to 51 millimeter squared die. So the die is 10% smaller. You know, like it's not. So, and, and remember that the 5600 XT was based on a cut down Navi 10 for yeah. 280, I believe. So if they charge 300, it's actually somewhat in line. It's debatable, though. It, it, you know, I would say, I would say it should probably be two fifty in a perfect world, but they're probably going to try three hundred. Demand makes pricing not really matter anymore, and if they can get away with adding twenty or forty dollars to the new six hundred level in the series, they'll they're going to do it. Yeah, and I mean, it's competing with the thirty sixty, and yeah. everything I'm hearing is it should beat the thirty sixty in ten eighty p but maybe tied in 1440p. So if they, it has a little less RAM though, so they should charge a little less, you know. That, that's yeah. basically what I'm seeing. And then, and and this was reported by a couple websites that I said this, it's not confirmed, but I, I double checked because a few websites reported on what I said about Navi24's articles. But I said that I think Navi24 could cost under 150. I do think it could. Like it sounds like an RX 560 die size, four gigabytes of RAM. I think you're looking at the Navi 24, depending on clock speeds, which is certainly up for debate because these smaller dies are sometimes clocked lower than you'd expect. Um, I, I would, I could see it though being like an RX 480 performance at even 1080p or a little like 470 mm-hmm. and 1080p, and in 720p it just turns out it's as fast as a 590. <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually do think that's how good Navi 24 could be. And based on looking at the estimated cost to manufacture, I actually think it could be 150 or less. And I suspect that's the 6400 XT, though. I, I will see what they call what, but there was no 55, there was no 5600 non XT with yeah. RDNA 1. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if cut down Navi 23, yeah, is the 6500 XT. Yeah, or you know, if they don't, if they don't want to like screw with the pricing of where of the the five hundred XT brand or whatever, you know, they don't have to have one every generation. They could just go straight to like a sixty four hundred, like you said, if they 
want to. <laughs> or, well, or uh, I don't know, what would it be, a 6,600 or something? Well, yeah, but that's what I'm kind of saying is I, you know, if it's $300 for that and then the 5,500 XC launch for 200, they seem to be charging 10 to 20% more per SKU, this lineup versus RDNA 1. I would just go, well, then... It wouldn't surprise me if the 6500 XT was just cut down Navi 23 and like 220. 220, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Anyways, though, that is that. Ikes writes in and asks, will RDNA 3 increase Infinity Cache per chiplet or keep it at 128 megabytes per 80 DCUs or, no, you mean per 40 dual compute units or whatever their chiplet size ends up being? Um, it's hard to say. If you look into what AMD's reported again about like cache hit rates, they said that there w- you can look at how scaling in 4K could really benefit from going to like 144 megabytes, maybe or let me see what or or you know like 160, 192 megabytes somewhere around there. There's there's definitely room for that to benefit. They just cut it off at 128 because they knew half of the people that bought the 6800 XT would probably be gaming in 1440p. So what's the point in wasting more die space if most people won't use it yet? And they said they got acceptable 4K acceleration for more than enough bandwidth. When If 4K becomes the standard, it wouldn't surprise me if they bumped it up just a little bit. But I, I don't know. It depends. Do they want to make... You know, how strong is RDNA 3 really going to be? Is it going to double performance? It could be if it's multiple dies, like I communicated. I could see it being, again, what I've heard is like, you know, 2.1x again. If it's 2.1x again, you almost wonder if you should give it a bunch more cash and make it capable of 5K gaming, because certainly it could be capable of that if it doubles performance over RDNA 2. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at the chart right now. Yeah, it, it in 4K, it's still very much in like the linear phase of that curve. So that that means that you're not starting to get a bunch of diminishing returns yet by adding more cash. So yeah, go going to 140 wouldn't be surprising and it wouldn't be stupid or even more than 140. Yeah, I would be very surprised if they went to 256 unless that was required for multi-chip design yeah. to work well, kind of like what they did with Zen 2. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. All right, let us move on to story number three. 
Ampere LHR series details surface NVIDIA exerting control over your graphics card. Of a write-up here, although not on its surface a major story, info summarized by Moore's Law's Dead and mentioned by Igor's Lab in the past point to an Ampere LHR series that could truly pioneer how much control NVIDIA exerts over products you buy from them. Numerous sources point to not just a software solution, but a much more egregious hardware solution that allows NVIDIA to throttle specific apps that leverage CUDA. To be clear, Moore's Law is dead would never double down on the idea that people won't hack these restraints quickly. When money is to be made, people usually find a way after all. However, it does seem like it could prove much more firmly locked down for casual miners than previous attempts by NVIDIA. And honestly, gamers aren't the problem. Mining firms are, and NVIDIA continues to sell dyes directly to them. The only good news in this semi-leak Tom put out is that there is mounting evidence NVIDIA will allow AIBs to price LHR cards closer to MSRP if supply starts catching up with demand. And it will eventually, although again, this is not confirmation. Prices will get better overnight. And it is worth emphasizing because people need to remember that NVIDIA's ultimate play report I put out was before the supply shortages. And mm-hmm. NVIDIA was marking up, forcing, forcing, really, literally forcing uh, AIBs to mark up cards a boatload before the shortages happened. And then they sent them all to miners. So NVIDIA changing their stance of forcing that means that NVIDIA is going to start letting supply and demand go wherever they go in case AMD becomes more competitive with their FSR launch. Well, that or, I mean, we'll see. I also don't know how much, uh, how much, how many dies they're going to be sending using their mining line of GPUs, because I know some of those dies are the dies used for all of these cards. And I don't know the, I just like that blog post NVIDIA puts out that, uh, about how it's, a uh, actually a positive move for you to have your card be less capable for arbitrarily be less capable because uh that somehow makes it better for gamers i i don't know how any of this can i continue to not know how this makes it better for gamers let's just be very clear about what nvidia's done with their ampere launch they forced higher prices from aib as well basically not having reference cards at msrp at launch and again this was before shortages everybody there's no evidence there was ever yield problems at samsung that seems like bad information you know so they exerted this control sent cards directly to miners well they let the price run away for its mining performance and then right when supply might start meeting demand they nerf mining performance for gamers to hurt resale value. That's what they're doing. And also send the message to you that they can uh, leverage your <laughs> uh, graphics card, or they can use your graphics card to make it perform worse in specific apps. Great. That's that's great. I'm not saying they're going to like start lowering game performance in certain games, but... <laughs> You know, that's essentially what they're showing is, oh, we can disable performance in your apps if we want to. Well, and this isn't new. I mean, when Vega Frontier launched, NVIDIA just did this like out of nowhere, 30 to 50 percent boost to the Titan Pascal's performance in a lot of professional apps overnight. Now, my understanding is they were holding back optimizations and that's what they updated it to. And they didn't feel the need to do that. They wanted you to buy the Quadros instead you know, until AMD was more competitive in that regard for prosumers. But what I'm hearing is that this is just a direct, like separate hardware chip monitoring its usage 24-7 that they can control and that they they might be sued over this. 
but and so I it's like I, I have multiple people saying this is more egregious than before, including sources. And I multi and I have someone saying they might get sued over it. And I see a lot of people worrying about it, but I don't know what else to say except that I don't see I I know that there aren't plans right now to throttle professional performance at this time that the LHR models work fine in professional apps, guys. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, someone uh, asked me in the YouTube comments for my video, he goes, does this mean NVIDIA could throttle professional app performance anytime they want? And I said, the short answer is yes. Yeah. And that's what I was, that's what I was trying to say. I I, I always hate saying stuff like this because I feel like it sounds like I'm being like you're being conspiratorial. But it's like that that is at the end of the day the message it sends if you really want to read into it like oh we're lowering performance on this one specific app we what app couldn't we do that for Exactly if it uses CUDA they can do it basically um yeah. and it's not and, and again though we'll see maybe it'll be easily hacked and whatever I do want to say though that I do know some people are circulating some people have 3080 TIs they've already hacked it's worth mentioning that someone I talked to has two models of a 3080 Ti and that one of them is a newer one with a hardware hack and the other one didn't. So it seems like this is something mm-hmm. NVIDIA implemented on all, pretty much all 3080 Ti's they're going to make right after production started. So some people that say mm-hmm. they already hacked it may have not the one I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I, I want to see more people saying they've hacked it before I, I trust like the first few like trickling outs that it's already been hacked because I, I think a lot of the time there's I think a lot of the time there does seem to be a couple fake stories surrounding cards getting hacked earlier on where I think we know like the 3060 was hacked by now but there well I mean and Nvidia accidentally released a driver that just unlocked it it's the dumbest crap I've ever heard, which I I don't want to touch that. I I actually do think there's some conspiracies to that one, obviously, but yeah, I won't say which side I think the conspiracy is on. But like, you know, I saw some early things on like r slash Ethereum about people hacking a 3060 and it was just, well, they didn't really hack it. They just got it to show a hash rate that was in line with uh, the hash rate you would expect with a 3060 for like five seconds and then the hash rate dropped immediately (laughs) and again to be clear this is like a new security chip of some sort that's there monitoring usage that was not there before and it monitors cuda and so Mm -hmm. this would all all mining apps i'm aware of basically use cuda now so could you theoretically get mining to work on this eventually with you know probably someone will but i don't know if it will be as efficient and this also means nvidia can respond for other algorithms that pop up so we'll see yeah. i i guess what i'm saying is this is a more serious attempt by nvidia than we've seen in the past by anyone remotely before and don't rule out that they may have more control than people i i know how funny it was when they tried before i was the first to say it's not going to work but this time sounds like they're really trying yeah All right, let us move on to story number four. RTX 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti launch, basically confirmed to launch next to AMD FSR reveal. Uh, And so I have a write up here as well. For over a month, NVIDIA has been rumored to launch the 3080 Ti at the very beginning of June with a 3070 Ti following a uh, week later. 
Well, now both video cards and WCCF Tech are doubling down on this info. There's really not much to report here. Moore's Law said leaked these release dates weeks ago, and this was covered in Broken Silicon 100. However, it is worth mentioning how clear it is now that NVIDIA plans to have big releases and news dropping every week of June. And this writer's opinion, this is obviously to head off the launch of AMD FSR. For those who missed it, the Ampere reboot video by Moore's Law Z also had a quote from a source pointing to FSR being very easy to implement versus DLSS, providing good performance per image quality. The only thing I'll say, though, then, in addition to that, is um, I can't confirm how good FSR is versus the best DLSS 2.1 implementations. But everything points to it being much... It's not DLSS 1.0. It is not. It's not like this situation where you could just use other settings and get similar results. It is an improvement over what was possible before in boosting performance at high resolutions. Although there is some sort of image quality loss, it seems, but for the performance you get, it sounds like people think everyone's going to be really happy with it. So I don't know. What do you you have to say about these launches, Dan? Well, yeah, like uh, going back to what you said there, uh, just there, uh, I I think based on what I've read, it sounds like there's going to be a loss in quality, but... You know, that doesn't matter if, well, matters, but it's a good feature if that loss in quality isn't worse than just, I don't know, lowering resolution scale or something. (laughs) So if they get a better image quality than that, I don't know, and it's easily implementable. uh, I don't know, if you get like a 20% performance boost or something, that's a really good feature that AMD is going to advertise heavily because, you know, that effectively... That really makes them a lot more competitive with Ampere, and it makes sense that they that Ampere would want to take the wind out of their sails with this announcement, or I really don't know who's taking the wind out of whose sails at a certain <laughs> point, but yeah. it makes sense that they would want to compete, combat each other with these uh, dueling announcements. Well, like I said, I think in a video that was me initially confirming 3080 Ti pricing and launch week, uh, I believe is now already like three or four weeks ago. God, time just keeps flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's when I first talked about FSR stuff in there as well. Um, the the fact that both of these things are rumored to suddenly after delay after delay for both, for both the 3080 Ti was rumored since December of, I mean, since before the Ampere launch, frankly. Um, yeah. and, 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 and AMD's DLSS competitor has been rumored for a very long time as well. The fact that these are both suddenly coming out in June tells me that they are both to compete with each other and because they expect supply to start catching up with demand a little bit this summer. Maybe not a ton, but they know that it'll finally be some form of competition again. And NVIDIA wants everything from top to bottom out with MSRPs that can work if they have to actually meet them, which I know, guys, (laughs) they're not going to. I've seen the articles where they're like already 3080 Ti's for two grand. I'm not... I'm not saying they're going to at launch, guys. And I've already communicated that I've heard about $900 3070Ti models, which is just ridiculous. But I do think they both expect things to shake out in a few months, a little bit. And that means AMD needs to have their DLSS competitor out, and NVIDIA needs to have a full lineup out with pricing controls so that AMD can't just steal the market. Yeah, and I think I said that last last podcast that once supply meets demand, they're going to have to start fighting each other again because they're not competing against supply anymore. And, you know, the fact that they both have pretty big announcements, 
I know one is just a software feature, but it's a software feature that we've been talking about for like a year now. <laughs> um, I, I think the fact that they're these are coming out announcements are like within a week of each other is a pretty bit within days of each other actually is. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think there's a uh, chance they may announce the 3080 Ti like a day before FSR. Yeah, it, it's a sign that I think they are they know they are going to be competing with each other again soon. I see there's going to be a lot of tech tuber hot takes in June. I think it's going to be a hot June, Dan. It's going to be hot take summer. And that's just, yeah, it's going to be hot take summer, not white boy summer. All right, let's move forward. Laws writes and says, do you think the early adoption of ray tracing will help NVIDIA's mind share in the future? I expect ray tracing will become a useful feature years from now. When that day comes, will the average consumer automatically assume you need an NVIDIA card to use it without considering the competition? I would say right now it already has done tons of dividends for their mindshare. You see Digital Foundry just calling ray tracing RTX, which is, as I've suggested before, not a coincidence that they are doing that, by the way. I don't want to get into it, though. And you see a lot of people doing it, too. I've even done it by mistake. And NVIDIA launched the first, quote-unquote, full ray tracing generation, which uh, it's up for debate if it really was. But I think right now already it's just big for their mindshare. Having said that, a lot of people are talking about Resident Evil 8's ray tracing on consoles, and they don't seem to feel the need to bring up NVIDIA, so we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, I would say... Um... You know, they're first to the market, so I think that mindshare is going to keep up for a couple years at least. I think if RTX becomes the, like, uh, <laughs> I, Kleenex, I guess, in branding for ray tracing, <laughs> then, yeah, I think that mindshare is going to keep going, uh, is going to keep up paying out dividends to NVIDIA. But if that starts to go away in, a, like, a year or two and people just start calling it RT more than RTX, then I think the mindshare as clearly wasn't, long-lasting yeah i mean uh, that that's exactly what i would say i mean otherwise i in terms of usefulness we're just gonna have to see i mean metro exodus being a fully ray traced game is interesting that's already here so yeah i mean i don't think i i don't know i, I just don't think it's gonna be a mainstream form of full rt lighting yeah. For a while. I, I don't think in a few years you're going to see that, but I think it's already useful now in the ways they're using it for... It really does seem like, you know, what was it? Um, Call of Duty Cold War did this, where using it for ray-traced shadows, where they just finally look better. Because I just want to touch on that. Like, high shadows in a lot of games, me and you just would always change shadows to medium because the performance difference would be night and day. And honestly, I didn't find ultra shadows in a lot of games looking good. It just looked like more shadows that are now blurry so i notice how blurry they are and we just thought the well-defined medium shadows less shadows but they're well-defined look better you know ray traced shadows means you can finally have ultra shadows without it looking like crap or if you'll remember the worst case of that with i think it was far cry 3 i don't know if you remember <laughs> it is ultra shadow ultra shadows it was just uh shadow flicker mode for some reason there's a ton of exactly. flickering shadows and so I do think, you know, you're going to see that be used a lot. And I mean, look, you already got, again, Resident Evil 8, 4K, 60 ray traced game. Ray tracing isn't used on a ton of things, but there are some objects where I'm like, that looks way better than in any game I've seen or most games I've seen. And you can tell they used ray tracing for that. Well, like one, we're like, uh, what is it? Uh, Mistress Dimitriscu or Madame Dimitriscu throws the mirror and you actually see her in the mirror while it's moving. Yeah. 
And it's just like, yeah, that was one scene. And notice they still cover up mirrors in most of Resident Evil 8 because they just don't think it's worth the performance loss. But that looks way better than the blurry ray traced reflect non-ray traced reflections we've seen in like Resident Evil 2, for example. <laughs> or like the yeah, the the 480p uh, yeah. mirrors of uh yesteryear. Yeah, and like Max Payne 3. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a very real thing now. It's just, again, but don't get ahead of yourselves. I think you're going to see it used for specific things to make things we couldn't make look good before look good. Or even yeah. I should even just say look presentable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be hybrid for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think by the time it's full ray tracing, it won't be thought of as an NVIDIA Kleenex situation Unless NVIDIA's done more to amplify it, which yeah. they might. But I don't think right now, all things considered, everyone's always going to remember that forever in every generation unless they do something. But again, I kind of expect them to. Um, Uni writes in and says, so with the rumor mill going around that there's really going to be a 3090 Ti, uh, is there? Does NVIDIA really feel it needs to flex that hard against AMD? Also, until proven otherwise, Intel as well, being that Intel is a newcomer in the GPU space, is this NVIDIA's way of showing who's the boss instead of pulling a power move like the ARM deal? I'm not sure what the ARM reference is. That deal seems like it's going through, and it seems like people at ARM aren't happy about it. But let me just get into my 3090 Ti thoughts here. Story number five. So let's be quick about this. This writer has ignored the whispers of a 3090 Ti for the past couple of weeks because on face value, I think it just sounds stupid. But Zotac supposedly just leaked a 3090 Ti. I will include this as a story to simply say two things. Number one, if real, this does not seem like an imminent launch, or at least it would be surprising to me if it was. Number two, at best, it would be 5% better than a 3090, likely with a 380 watt plus TDP. Uh, 48 gigabyte models always had GDR6 from what I saw last year. Like any samples I saw of Ampere that had 48 gigabytes, it was normal GDR6 on them, guys. So the one thing I will say, though, that could make me believe they'd launch a 3090 Ti, and I want to be very clear, I don't have any confirmation of that. And I have multiple people saying it sounds ridiculous. The one thing that would give me suspicion is it's real is because there are a lot of AIBs making a big deal about launching 6900 XTX models, these highly mm-hmm. binned XTX-H Navi 21 dies, which again, I have to point out, I'm the one who said that it was they were all going to AIBs. This would never be a reference model. Um, but they're clocking like 10% above stock, and a lot of these 6900 XTs are 400 watts plus. So maybe. Maybe NVIDIA doesn't like the idea that AMD may be able to market their cards as being the fastest, like they did with the 7970 gigahertz. I remember after that big driver update that improved GCN 1.0 performance, AMD literally was running ads with the 7970 gigahertz that said, the strongest single die GPU, period. And it just showed a graph of it crushing the (laughs) 680 in every game, you know? And if these AIB models, which seem 10% stronger at stock, they could do that. They could just be like stronger than the 3090 period. I suspect that, well, I don't know. Maybe they would only charge $1,300, but I suspect that they if there would was start, a reference model. There's not though. Yeah. I would suspect it would start creeping up to 1500 though. So at the end of the day, I don't know how much this, that even matters having an AIB that kind of sort of beats the 3090, but I don't know. Maybe Nvidia really wants that 3% performance crown. 
Yeah, and Dan can see me pulling out my phone and just looking at a couple of things quickly. Uh, yeah, I have no other updates. I did actually send out inquiries to a few people just like, hey, I guess let me ask, does this thing exist? No one's that I've talked to is confirming the existence of it. The only thing I can confirm is a couple people heard similar things to me, that there were some 48 gigabyte models tested and that we'd be blown away if they launched a 48 gigabyte model, that it, it'd probably just be the almost full die or full die with maybe slightly faster clock, 24 gigabytes of GDR6X, just so they can say they have something against the 6900 XTX. But I don't know. That's all I can really say about the 3090 Ti. I'm not going to say it can exist. I mean, Zotac put out this thing, but I'm also going to say that I don't think this thing's coming out next week. And if it was, this is the best kept secret I've heard. And you'll know <laughs> about it. I'll tweet because uh, well, I should know before it's announced, you know. Well, the it seems a lot of the time like the first true leaks that come out about graphics card or a new gra- SKU is uh, and and AIB accidentally leaking it. Or I don't even know if it's an accident. I just don't know if they care. Um, <laughs> well, remember there were, there were 30, 80, 20 gigabytes that, yeah. that was planned. Like I, there were gigabyte boxes with 20 gigabytes on it. Like they were yeah. preparing to make that. So this could just be, oh, for a second, they thought they were going to make it or not. This might, I, I just think the name is kind of stupid too. This to me suggests, well, it would be, if they call it this, it's cause they're just worried. They don't want any Titan that's has any AMD card within 10% of performance. That's got to be what it is. Well, yeah, which that kind of means the the death of the Titan, but at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, because I expect, I do expect uh, RDNA 3 to not change any situation, let's say, <laughs> in yeah. terms of NVIDIA being able to keep the crown. I think AMD may take it. Um, But, all right, I suppose then let us move on to the final story, Dan. Hmm. Story number six, Zen 4 rumored to launch on an LGA socket with only PCIe 4.0. The dough that comprises Zen 4 rumors is likely to firm up very soon, it seems. And part of this gluten product massaging is already starting to come from Executable Fix. Dan's face says he's not sure if he likes this (laughs) write-up. A Twitter leaker with good credibility just confirmed AMD is currently planning to axe PCIe 5.0 in the initial consumer models of Zen 4, at the very least. That's the plan right now. And furthermore, that AM5 is LGA-based like Intel sockets, which is good in this writer's opinion. LGA seems... It always seems less perilous than a bunch of pins sticking off of an expensive CPU, guys. However... People would be good to note that AMD has literally said in the past that putting LGA on a socket is because the CPUs are now more expensive than the socket, so yeah. it's worthwhile to protect the CPU more than a motherboard. An LGA AM5 directly suggests price hikes for Zen 4. Um, so, anyways, Dan, what do you make of this? A very brief, you know, story here, but like, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, the one thing I would say is if they're expecting to do price hikes and not have PCIe 5.0, that's not good if if uh, they launch against Alder Lake with PCIe 5.0. Uh, that might make that might make Alder Lake the better option, and clearly in some for context. some people, yeah, it's gonna. I mean, we have to see, but uh, wait until it comes out. But I don't know. It's a mix of. Bad news for the PCI 5.0, and I don't know, good news for AMD that they consider their CPUs more valuable than their motherboards at this point. (laughs) 
Yeah, again, which people would be good to remember. It's like, well, there were always more expensive CPUs than the motherboards since Zen 1's launch, but most people were buying, you know, Zen 1 chips that were below 200 bucks. That's just, yeah. and when you look at Zen Plus, especially, that's just not true, though, Zen 2 and especially Zen 3 and onwards. Well, yeah, I mean, you could kind of see it as uh, they just, AM4 was around for too long, probably, because they probably should have switched to LGA by Zen 2, at least. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, here's what I will say. Again, you guys have seen the the stuff I'm working on behind me on the whiteboard. Uh, let's uh, let's say I, I may you may get some Zen 4 info out of me soon, <laughs> guys. I actually was writing a script today before we started recording, Dan. So it, stay tuned. I, I think I know a lot about Zen 4, and it's an interesting picture that I'm hearing painted about what it is. But mm. I, what I would say is when it comes to PCIe 5.0, Intel sources are telling me this is hard to implement no matter what. This is this is hard. PCIe 4.0 already made motherboards more expensive, needed active cooling. 5.0 yeah. is even harder. Like I heard a lot of problems with it. So if AMD decided to axe PCIe 5.0 to launch on time with more reasonably priced products, this may be part of what I'm going to talk about in a leak. That makes some sense to me. And as much as it does give Alder Lake a bullet point win and that you can put 5.0 on the box now, let us remember that I don't know that we should just assume all of the chipsets for Alder Lake will support 5.0. The cheaper ones might not. Yeah, and I was going to say, like you alluded to that too, and we've talked about it where uh, 5.0, well, like you said, a 4.0 heat is already an issue, and if 5... It was at least initially. Yeah, if that is exasperated over time and 5.0 has legitimate heat issues... Uh, it would be understandable why they would at least initially delay that to make sure that uh, they can get any heat, possible heat issues under control before they, you know, launch a bunch of motherboards that start failing in three months or something. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I, I would just say that let's also remember, I believe I'm the first person that leaked this too about Alder Lake, that it would have 5.0, but that it wouldn't support 5.0. Uh, NVMe drives and that it Mm -hmm. was probably just going to be in the top PCIe slot for most models. So it's not like Alder Lake is the whole 5.0 thing right out of the gate. It just has some support for it and the platform itself supports it as they keep bringing out more chips. I don't know how much this will ultimately matter to people though, you know. I think um, a lot of people view the (laughs) everything past like 3.0 as it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because they're generally able to supply enough bandwidth, even with 3.0. But, you know, you do get a decent losses in performance and some stuff. Well, I mean, except for, of course, Navi 23 and the 5500 yeah. XT, which I believe was Navi 14 or is it 12? I don't remember. Probably 12. I don't, actually, I don't think it was. I think it was 14. Don't don't quote me. Don't you guys write in with corrections. I don't want a correction on that one. Who cares? RDNA one's dead, guys. Um, and it, But, uh, I mean... So you needed 4.0 to really get mo- max performance out of a 5500 XT, and you will yeah. for Navi 23, which is I, I forgot to mention that people keep bringing up. Did you Scott? Did you see Tom that Navi 23 is only eight PCIe lanes? And I was like, this has been rumored since the beginning, guys. This is the replacement die, pretty much of the 5500 XTs. I'm not surprised. No, <laughs> I, it's just now they might charge 300 instead of 200. Oh yeah, they. They can. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that's the one thing I would say, though, Dan, is that 
that's when it does still matter. Yeah, that's true. And if you're losing like 10% performance and some stuff with a uh, 4.0 with 3.0, yeah, that will probably definitely be exasperated in RDNA 2 and RDNA 3. But I don't know if 5.0, if 4.0 is really even maxed out and if 5.0 will be necessary anytime in the near future. Stay tuned, guys. We have a lot more to say about Zen 4 soon. <laughs> hint, hint, not really a hint. Ben Cannon writes in, have you heard anything new on the next Intel HEDT lineup or how long are they abandoning it for? I've heard tons from Intel about their next next gen desktop, but nothing about what they are making to combat Threadripper. I, I get, Dan, I get a reader mail about this every week. The answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they have like? nothing until Sapphire Rapids HEDT. Oh, yeah. And what was the last, was Comet Lake was the last HEDT, right? Or Cascade Lake X. Cascade Lake, yeah, not Comet Lake. So, I mean, that's it, guys. I mean, they're, they're probably going to have a, as we know, they'll have like an Ice Lake Xeon workstation chip, but workstation is an HEDT. Intel segments it. Consumer. Uh, HEDT workstation server, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it's kind of different than AMD, how they're Threadripper, but now AMD kind of does that too with Threadripper Pro, basically, actually. Um, oh yeah, that's true. So but as of now, you know, it's just the U- regular old 18 cores, and I know there were rumors of a 22 core being shoved, trying to shove a cut down Xeon into a 22 core version, and then giving it only four channels to go on that platform. I doesn't seem like that's ever coming out. So, yeah. I, to my knowledge, this is all they got for now. Okay, shall we get into the wrap-up then? Yep. All right, let us see here. So, we've got actually quite a bit of stories in the wrap-up portion. These are, of course, things that we wanted to mention as news, things that interest us but don't deserve a main story. The first one here is, did you see Gigabyte wasn't allowed to say Taiwan is different from China? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Anytime, anytime Taiwan gets mentioned uh, around China, they have to scream and pretend it's not a real country. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to add there. I just and I, we did. We try not to get into politics here, but when it affects us, it affects us. So we bring it up. I I, I just have to point out how insane that is. Got like anyone who's just like, well, you know, what about? No, 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 no excuses. This is a Chinese, di- this is a communist dictatorship that <laughs> exerts absurd control over people that work with it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just ridiculous. What, Taiwan is a, its own country, duh. And what? So now people can't buy things from Gigabyte in China anymore. Is that the is that the big story? I guess now because I mean, they Taiwan has its own passport. What are we smoking? I, it's its I own country. Know. Although this does tell you about China's ambitions, which worries me. Yeah. I think we should move on, though. Um, let me see. We got Tiger Lake 5 gigahertz Xeons. This is just in general that there's Tiger Lake models at 5 gigahertz. To me, that suggests Alder Lake is likely to hit 5 gigahertz, at least in some models. I hope so. Yeah, we can hope. I think Intel wants to keep going with the... F- they're the uh, 5 gigahertz <laughs> the, kings. The 5 gigahertz uh, meme kings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think they want to lose that branding because I, I don't know if I, I don't know if they are just doing that because that's like the last thing they can hold on to at this point, or if they do consider that an important part of their marketing. But I, I, I expect all their like will hit five gigahertz. Yeah. Moving forward to other little stories here, I I still haven't got had time to get into this. I actually might examine Arctic Sound 
next to RDNA 3. It's just funny. It's just, I've had so many leaks about Arctic Sound and multi-tile Z. It looks like Arctic Sound does use two tiles and it uses an insane amount of energy and it seems like both tiles are cut down. <laughs> I just want to point that out though, that, see, there it is though. We need to watch Arctic Sound performance though, because this will show us how well it scales. Yeah, that's true. And then 32 gigabyte RDNA 2 cards. We forgot to talk about this last news episode, so I just <laughs> threw it in here again. Because for a second there, I was like, dude, where are these 32 gigabyte professional cards for RDNA 2? And what, what I need to point out on this one, because I do have a tidbit here, is these really were planned to launch quarter one, by the way, apparently. <laughs> announced in December. They're supposed to be announced in December. And at this point, I'm hearing they may not come out till end of year because AMD just can't keep up with any demand for any RDNA 2 products. So they're not bothering to even launch the professional lineup yet. Which is, we. I mean, I guess I don't know how adopted they are in that space, but that's a bit of a, I, I guess that's a bit surprising that they wouldn't want to release in the workstation and workstations if they can. But yeah, I don't know. Let me see here. Another thing I wanted to bring up with you unbelievable player counts quoted for Battlefield 6. I bring up this story because everyone knows we're big Battlefield fans. Let's take a minute to talk about this. Like, unbelievable means what? Because I always heard 128. I would believe that. I, we'll see. I I think a lot of it, uh, that could just be BS marketing because, yeah, I would say if we're talking about unbelievable, I would want higher than 256 players. Because, yeah, Mag you know, was a PS3 game that had 256. And there's plenty of games. I mean, Warzone is 150. It's not. Yeah, so I, if I had to bet, I, I bet they're increasing the player count to 128. But yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, E3 soon, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think they're going to reveal this soon, and I am excited. You know, it's finally time for another modern battlefield, and I could really use one right now. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see the announcement. Yeah, let me say this. If it's above 128 players, I will just say that they better have, like, a mag, like, everyone can Google that game, M-A-G, mag, like, commanding, you know, chain of command system if they want to make that make any sense whatsoever, because I think I played experimental rooms in the Bia Battlefield 3 or 4 beta. There was I played 128 player rooms before in some weird lobby once, I think. And mm. it was utter chaos, you know? Yeah. And and there's squad leaders in battle almost every battlefield anyways. You can't just have a squad leader. You if you go above 64 players, I highly recommend very very big incentive systems for following orders and punishing bad squad leaders that's what it took in mag to make it work because if you don't it will just be outright chaos yeah and i mean just looking at the comments there's <laughs> the comments of that article you post there are some people that are just like well 64 uh can you make 64 player work perfectly before you move on to 128 because to some people 64 is already too chaotic so <laughs> i i think it would be if the game works the way it does now i think it would be a bit chaotic with 128 or 256 players. And by I would bit, suggest I mean they super. shouldn't go above 96 if they're going to yeah. keep the same systems. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. And what I've also heard is that this is going to be on current gen consoles or last gen now. So, um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know, guys. <laughs> like they say they're going to bring the same experience. They're going to bring it. <laughs> it's marketing BS, but I heard someone say we're going to bring a next gen experience to last gen. 
So you're not going to then. Like, what does that mean, a next-gen experience? What I assume they'll do, because they had 64 players on PS4 this whole time, I assume they might lower the player count to 48. Because I don't know how they could have the physics I'm hearing they may have in Battlefield 6 with 64 players on that Jaguar CPU. We'll see, yeah. I mean, what they did with the cross-gen Battlefield games of the PS3, PS4, was they just lowered the player count to the bad company uh 24 players yeah so i could just see them keeping it at 64 but uh maybe they would go down to 48 i'd be very surprised if they could run the next gen engine at 64 True. players at 60 frames that's my which it didn't really well, anyways like i wouldn't be surprised if they were like hey look it's 30 frames per second on last gen they might do that too which i would encourage them to not be afraid to do that i mean just keep it a locked 30 instead of an unstable one and let next-gen players really have a full 60 next-gen experience, please. Please don't nerf it. Yeah, I know. At some point, games need to start moving to embracing the n- new consoles. All right, let me see here. Let's wrap the rest of this up then. So we got TSMC announcing one nanometer <laughs> roadmaps. Again, that's just... I saw the IBM 2 nanometer thing. It's just like, yeah, everyone's mm-hmm. announcing... Again, guys, Samsung said they were on 5 nanometer like three years ago. They're not, so. (laughs) Um, And also that the latest rumors about a new Ryzen 5000 stepping, which AMD says they're going to release in six months, AMD publicly confirmed no performance improvements on their new steppings. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll have to see what that means. But again, to me, this suggests they may just have Zen 3 all year. That's what it sounds like to me. And this just makes it cheaper to produce. And then finally in the wrap up, last story here is Copite Kimmy strikes again, bringing up that he expects basically doubling in performance from both RDNA 3 and Lovelace, which I do like that he says Lovelace because I'm going to be honest, guys, I don't have really any information that's specific outside of, I think, stuff I said in like August or September in the, the next two years of graphics video. Like I know there's a hopper somewhere and they're working on multi-die gpus at nvidia but everyone could have guessed that you don't need a leak to tell you they're working on that um i have recently i do have heard someone mention the name lovelace and that really might be the next one that's all i can really say but for now i I think it's all i am here for another year yeah at least for another half year then what copite suggested 100 they might reach 100 teraflops which that's true that would be a little bit more than doubling current gen so yeah it doesn't mean it big. doubles gaming performance but it could mean you know up clock speeds which i haven't heard that though so i don't know we'll see what that means he's you know or maybe 256 cuta cores per s <laughs> right which yeah which he's saying there is that so is he talking about 100 teraflops for lovelace i that would have that's my guess I, I don't know to, i'm looking at these because that wouldn't surprise me i mean for all we know they're just gonna there have been rumors that lovelace is just doubling the size of ampere and clocking it faster which okay <laughs> i guess that's a way to solve the problem we'll see how well that translates into gaming performance but i mean there will be definitely some increase there was also a story here about amd's updated global founders agreement and andy 1299 is a question hi tom and dan Beyond more I.O. dies, what do you speculate AMD could be building on Global Foundries with their new wafer agreement? $400 million per year seems a little high for I.O. dies and 580s. I haven't done the math, 
that could be loaded up front, although I heard their previous run rate was around 600. You know, I wouldn't shy away from the explanation, right? When you look at the, the example I will give is, didn't we just see like in out of nowhere, we got two stories, NVIDIA saying they're not making Tegra anymore and Nintendo saying they're, they upped their production for one quarter or for one mm-hmm. the remaining year to like 30 million switches a year. Yeah, that's probably them front-loading or back-loading, you might say, switch production before NVIDIA stops making the SoC. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, why would they have this agreement where all of a sudden they're making a ton more? Remember, one of my recent guests a few months ago just was happy sticking with Epic Naples, you know, 32-core. I think when you look at the I.O. dies required that make they use 12 nanometer and such, you know, so we're talking like Zen 2, Zen 3. They're going to have to supply replacement Milan and Rome chips and even, you know, consumer chips, all the embedded chips that use these Global Foundries IO dies for years. And it would make sense to reserve this for that chipsets, everything. Remember, Global Foundries is useful for a bunch of things AMD might use. And I think, yeah, that's just them ensuring they have no shortages and if they just make a bunch extra whatever they'll stockpile it and save it for servicing customers that use milan and rome for years to come you know yeah and i think at least based on the tech power up article the way they're phrasing it it seems like they the commitment they're having to global foundries is lessening over time which you know (laughs) sounds like they're probably going to be moving to seven nanometer for the most part for their io dies although i don't know maybe they're I, I don't know. I don't know every single chip AMD manufactures and what need they might have for a 12 nanometer die. There's probably something in there. All right, Dan, this episode seemed a little lighter than usual, or maybe we're just yeah. getting that good at it. Shall we get to the final reader mails? Let's do it, bro. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Joe Brighton. Hi, Tom. I really enjoyed ray tracing and a lot of games that I've played Uh, that have that feature like Control and Cyberpunk. I understand you've not been impressed by ray tracing implementation so far. I would say that's a short way of putting it. But yeah, I have been sometimes, Joe, but not always. Anyways, he continues. I've been playing Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition for the past few days. The game looks objectively better with all the lighting being fully ray traced with unlimited bounces. I'm sure it does. Have you played Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition and seen this for yourself? If so, what is your opinion having seen an implementation of ray tracing that's so well executed? Um, I haven't played it yet. Honestly, the amount of games between playing Deep Rock Galactic still with, you know, Dan and friends uh, every a couple times a week or so. And then also just deciding to play Dark Souls Remastered again with Dan. Uh, and, and and of course, you know, I, I love Resident Evil 8. I've been playing that. I got Returnal, although I don't I haven't actually played it enough for just having bought it, <laughs> I would say. And And there's more games coming out I'm looking forward to. Now, I haven't had time to play a whole lot of other games besides those. That's what I've been playing lately. Um, so, no, I have not gotten to this one. I don't know when I will, but I own it, so I will eventually, I think. Um, and I, you know, let me let me just do this. Let me, uh, let me, Metro. I mean, I've seen some limited stuff from it, and I'm sure it looks better than the original version. Um, I'm sure it does. It's just... When I think of the games with the best lighting I've seen, I haven't played Exodus Enhanced extensively, and it does look better than the original version. But for my money, the best lighting I've seen is Resident Evil 8 and Demon Souls. 
And so that's that. And one of them doesn't even have ray tracing. One of them does, though. Right. Yeah. And I, I it's going to I don't know when I'm going to play Metro Exodus. I'm sure I will at some point, but it's mm-hmm. going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, all I can say is, I mean, I still kind of think Demon Souls is the best looking one, actually, in lighting. It's just mind blowingly good looking in some areas, even to the point where yeah. you can see like the glow of stuff down hallways accurately without ray tracing. And again, it's funny, those devs said, we considered adding ray tracing. We just thought our rasterization looked better than the early tests we did. (laughs) And we had way better performance. So I don't know. All I will say is I'm not a hater in ray tracing overall. I think it looks good in in Minecraft. I think the enhanced version of Metro Exodus does look better than the base version. I think it looks good in Resident Evil 8. But I still don't think there's this thing where it's like, oh, this game must have ray tracing. It looks so good because a lot of the games I played up until now just had a blurry mess in puddles. Yeah. All right. Nils writes in, I fully believe that traditional raster based SLI and crossfire is dead. Yeah, I think you uh, are good to believe that. (laughs) He goes on. But I'm curious as to what you think of games in the next few years supporting a second card doing full pure RT work. Kind of like what happened with pre-NVIDIA PhysX, where you had one do all the raster and one do, and we had one do all of the physics and one do all the raster. And now we would do one with all ray tracing, one with, you know, just raster. Well, I'm just looking for an excuse to get two 6800 XTs, to be honest, instead of a 6700 XT or something else in a year. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, I know Anthony Gareffa at Tweaktown actually did a test of 6800 XT and he sent me the results for Crossfire and said he was blown away. So I would say look into that when as DirectX 12 becomes standard, we're just going to have to see how many of them have that built in crossfire. We were promised we were promised DirectX 12 would bring multi GPU support that does not require multiple cards. And when he tested it, he's like, yeah, it turns out half of them actually do work that way. And that I was getting like 250 frames in 4K. And it wasn't stuttery. And I'm like, so just look into that nails. But I don't really think they're going to do something with one doing just ray tracing. No, I don't. And I think it would be inefficient right now. Uh, Like how that even like they would have to make a purpose built ray tracing card, which might work great. And I'd be it'd be cool if that was a thing, but I just don't see it. And based on at least how the the technology supposedly works, that wouldn't really be that beneficial, would it? As opposed to just using hardware acceleration on the one card you have to do ray tracing. I guess if you just exactly because that's how the architectures con. are built now. You'd have to build a purpose-built ray tracing one for it to make sense because yeah. not enough of the die space is meant for just ray tracing where it would make sense. I guess Ampere, you can make the argument it's kind of built in it now, but there's still the tensor core things, so and no, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the, Dan looked at me. I was like, you know, the reason I brought up Ampere is because w- one way they solved scaling ray tracing performance was just like, well, what if we just put a shit ton of compute and it's inefficient, but half of it's used ends up being used for ray tracing anyways or something. But they still have the tensor cores, so it's not really fair to say that's how it works. No. Anyways, though, Deus writes in, what are the pros and cons of proof of work and proof of stake? And why do you believe one is better than the other? This is a crypto question after listening to the Jimmy Song episode, which again, I'll plug it again, that Jimmy Song... Broken Silicon, most people that listen to that said it was one of their favorites, if not literally their favorite. Like, even if you're not interested in Bitcoin, as a real developer with a lot of programming experience, it was an excellent uh, Broken Silicon. In terms of pros and cons, there, there's not really... Proof of stake still kind of divulges into a sort of proof of work anyways, where people are just building, having multiple wallets. And 
I don't want to get into it because there's going to be some people that hear me say that and already say I'm wrong. It's really a long discussion. I don't think one's better than another. What I will say is this. If something has value or humans give something value, they will find ways to try to get more of that value. So no matter how you do it, proof of work just attempts to cut out the middleman and go, hey, we know people are going to do proof of work no matter what. So let's just remove the pretend there's all these extra steps and just that's what it is. <laughs> that, that's well, yeah, all it literally is. Uh, the idea of the whatever proof that that that's used to secure the network, it still needs to be securing a network. So a network has to be there. So it has the, some yeah. computing power has to be dedicated in a proof of uh, stake system or else what is it just doing? It's paying you money for your computer to just have a wallet open. And it doesn't really make sense. Because then I've seen some computer. coins where where people found a way to just make a, they just stacked motherboard after motherboard in a rack. And then it was just multiple wallets all staking. So it's basically mining. It was just used less energy, but also how much energy was required to make those motherboards. And he was like filling a whole room with them. You know, it's the yeah. energy used to make products. That's most of the energy wasted, not the mining or whatever. So it, and how many rare minerals were wasted? It's again, it, it's, I don't want to get into it. Right. But let's just say I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about all of this stuff. And we should probably just save that conversation for a die shrink, you know. And I do have someone I talked to who's an Ethereum developer. So there's stuff that could be. I feel like if we were going to really talk about this, I'd want to bring in experts in crypto instead of just, you yeah. know, wasting time here at the end. Amiable Chief writes in and says, how much would you wager that the next crypto bull run arrives right in time for RDNA 3 and Lovelace? Mm, I don't think so. I think I think we're still uh, going on this one. I know we're in a dip, but the bolt the crypto cycle is what generally like three to four years. It seems, but it keeps getting longer. So I kind of actually think RDNA three yeah, that's may come true. out at the end of this one. I think we're just halfway yeah. through this one. Yeah, there's always there's always people that think that the bull run ends before it di- does. I think mm-hmm. it's going to go for a little while longer, then we'll hit a dip, and then this cycle will restart in like 2024, 2025 or something, and uh, Lovelace and RDNA 3 will be long gone by that point. That's basically how I would put it, and again, most of this uh, shortage thing has not been mining. Again, guys, it isn't the miners. It really isn't the miners. There's been shutdowns in automotive, and GM will pay big bucks they don't the, the little computer in the car costs nothing for ford and gm and like they don't give a shit they will pay big bucks to keep the assembly line moving they lo- they lose far more money halting the assembly line than they do spending twice as much for a computer that goes in the car like the shortages yeah. affect everything right now like i've heard that people are having trouble testing alder like because they can't get a hold of ddr5 because of shortages not because it's not made yet like that there's been holdups in prototype stuff just because yeah of so this is not miners, guys. Um, uh, don't worry. That, I mean, does it make the situation worse when NVIDIA sells directly to miners? Yeah. But someone was going to. So at the macro level, I'm not sure it does. It just, again, I don't want to get into that again. But um, yeah, when I, I and again, on the whole subject of like when the bull run, run ends, where we are, this is not financial advice, of course, but I would advise, I'm just looking at a chart right now. Everyone go look at the bull run in 2017 and see where Bitcoin dropped from 3,000 to 1,700. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> and that was in July. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy to think about. It, it, yeah. So that's kind of where I suspect we are now. 
Again, not financial advice. Could be wrong, of course. We'll have to see. But that's actually where I think we are now in this run, like just kind of at the like, actually, you'd argue two thirds, three fourths point, not the end. We'll see, though. Sam the Noob writes in and says, hi, Tom and Dan or guest. Well, it's Dan in this case, Sam. And the MLID community. I want to just thank you all for fueling my obsession with hardware and continuing to put out great content. You also facilitated me getting into the more technical aspects of semiconductors, which has spiraled into me getting an internship at AMD. I'm working on Zen 4 server hardware, by the way. Been listening for about two years now. And it keeps getting better. Both the technical interviews and shit talking with Dan are great. Well, I don't like to think of it as shit talking, although certainly we can't help ourselves. Sometimes. You gotta do it sometimes. You just gotta do it, baby. But yeah, I mean, that's weird to think about. He must have been listening then since like 2019. Yeah, that's true. Which on know. that note, we are, I believe the next news episode is the two-year anniversary episode. So I don't know if we're gonna do anything from that. Usually we're too busy to pay attention to anniversaries. Like, we're just like, oh, shit, it's the year anniversary. Crap, we got to do something. You know, write in with what you guys would suggest we do for the two-year anniversary. Let me just put that out there now. Like, you guys can put in the reader mail channels. Um, And I guess on that note, I'll say, you know, if you support us on Patreon, you can submit reader mail and get early ad-free versions of these podcasts. Die Shrink, which is only for patrons. Um, We've got another kind of guest Die Shrink coming up soon. A couple guest episodes, actually. So we're going to start doing that as well. Um, and uh, you know what? Patrons keep the lights on. It, we would not be this, would, this guys. This would not be possible without the patrons. So if you do listen to us, uh, consider supporting us. Throwing a couple bones at it. Got some extra scratch. Just a couple scratches gets you die shrink every couple weeks and uh, access to the Discord. So uh, you know, give us a couple scratches and we'll scratch your back. That you works. Know, yeah. Just and now we need to talk like we're some seedy character for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's me, Milk Breath Mike. I'm always doing seedy stuff and my breath smells like milk. If you couldn't tell by my name being Milk Breath Mike. Yeah. You see, I had a weird lisp there at the end for some reason. All right. On that note, I think that means we should probably stop. Thank you for supporting us. Tell your friends about us. Remember to subscribe. Remember we're a podcast. Subscribe to us on podcast apps and tell your friends about us. And uh, yeah, all of our information will play soon in the normal end roll audio. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, Please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Mohamed Al-Kawari, Frederick Cloud, James Crasset, Justin Pear, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegard, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Bokin Kilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in Pa 81, Nathan Mose, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForeRoom.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Carrie Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sam Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Power, Stu Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dane Galinowski, Alex Carastiel, Dark Rain, 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Donovan Russell, Zebra Z Burrs, Licky, Martin Porcheggi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stefan Coates, Kiwi Phil, DeHoo Who, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Samuel, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Rodney, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, Jacob Stankowitzk, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Ashil Dar Epstein, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Lakata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Meet and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Jajit, Shield TV Couteau, Dane P, John Wizink, Sam Venzel, Mark M- Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jaskowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, SS Jensen Huang, thank you, CEO of NVIDIA, Henry Zhang, William W. Draper, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> 